guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to take a minute and thank our incredibly generous sponsors, Custom Concrete Specialists, PML Construction, the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Liquid Trucking, Risk Skill Consulting. Thank you one and all. We really appreciate your support. Now today's episode. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. Uh, This is Doug Fletcher, and it is Friday, February 19th. February, it's January 19th here in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, minus 20 this morning, and uh, my guest is coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona, I believe, or at least in that general area. Uh, yeah, Phoenix, Scottsdale, <laughs> so, Arizona right now. Uh, my guest is Michael Rubin. For those of you that are part of the LinkedIn community, uh, you follow safety and health people on LinkedIn, or you're make, you've made those connections, you know who Michael is. He is a prolific poster of OSHA information, um, and to be quite honest, some of the most useful information that I've ever seen provided about OSHA from a legal standpoint. So I started following you probably six months or so ago. I mentioned to a buddy of mine who was the um, uh, Jim Cover, the director of the OSHA consultation program here in Nebraska. He contacted me yesterday to just to chat, and I mentioned you were going to be on, and he was like, oh, man, I follow his stuff. I love his stuff. And so you, you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I really wanted to have you on because uh, the information that you provide is incredibly useful, in my humble opinion, very accurate, at least from my perspective, from the OSHA side, very accurate. And I, I am really interested in promoting people, finding you on LinkedIn or, or your website or whatever that is, and taking advantage of that information. It is uh, really important. And it's really useful and really relevant. So Michael Rubin is a stakeholder with uh, Ogletree Deacons, uh, Attorneys at Law, the, the law firm. Um, you are located down in Phoenix, I believe, or probably practice all over the country, if not all over the world, but certainly all over the country. Um, and um, I guess the, the most important question that I need to ask you is, what's the temperature down there? <laughs> Yeah, so just to give some backstory, um, I did live in seven, um, in Buffalo for seven years oh. in Syracuse for four years. So if you're getting jealous, just know I really earned what I'm entitled to. Uh, I think it's like 50 today. Uh, it might actually go up to 75. So, yeah, I mean, just it's the weather. We're just about, a, about a 100 degree swing from where we are. Isn't yeah. that amazing that it could be 100 degrees different? a thousand miles apart. It's kind of interesting. Well, again, thank you for being here. And there's so much I would love to cover and we don't have the time to do it all. Um, Perhaps if schedules permit, we can do it again at some point, but if you wouldn't mind, would you talk a little bit about, did you grow up wanting to be an OSHA attorney? Was that something that was when you were a child you were thinking about? No, I mean, there, there, sometimes I kid, there must've been some latent OSHA gene but, and then just somehow something triggered it, you know, many years into a legal career. But it was really, um, it, it really shows it's good to keep your ears open when people make suggestions, because I was about 10 years into my career practicing as a litigation attorney. And one of the, uh, you know, partners in the office I was in at the time said, we don't have anyone who does OSHA. Why don't you look into that? And I was looking for a niche practice really to evolve. And 
it really just interested me, the technical nature of it, the aspect that you could always learn more. And then going to my first safety conference, I thought safety professionals, for lack of a better description, were like the coolest people I had ever met. <laughs> I thought, this is great. I could just park myself right here and make a living in this industry. So that was really it. But it was little by little learning more, first learning the procedural aspects of OSHA, how it works, OSHA's authority, all of those things. And then just over time, getting more and more experience and then really the drive to become a subject matter expert in OSHA, how it works, employers' rights, all of these different things. And then the evolution of getting on LinkedIn and having a platform to say what you think. So it's it wasn't overnight, but it just took. It's one of those things. It's, it's good to listen to suggestions sometimes because you never know where you could be 10 years later. I, I totally agree, and I, and I love that comment. I think that, um, you know, I, this isn't about me, but I was not interested in being a safety professional. That's not what I was studying and why I went to school and what I had envisioned, but it presented itself, and I think if you're paying attention and listening, sometimes those opportunities do present themselves. And, but, but you have really carved out an interesting niche in, um, in the LinkedIn world, particularly. You know, I've got a few other buddies and, you know, in all due respect, Randy and Eric and a few other attorneys that are OSHA people that do an exceptional job. But I love what you are doing with LinkedIn because that information reaches so many people. And and you you are really prolific. You're like James Patterson, man. I mean, you are <laughs> you are publishing a lot of good stuff. And as I read it, I'm thinking, I wish the people that I had interacted with when I was with OSHA had known this because uh, as I'm sure you're aware, OSHA has a tendency to take advantage of that lack of understanding. Sometimes I don't know that it's malicious necessarily, but they're certainly not above taking advantage of the fact that employers and employees may not truly understand their rights. uh, Certainly not fully. And so uh, I am really hopeful that, you will continue to do what you're doing, continue to post that information and reach more people. So that's kind of my interest here is like get that information into the hands of my listeners and the people that may, they may be able to pass it on to. So um, th- there are so many things I want to come. First of all, you have a you had a CSP and a CHST. And I, can, I congratulate you for that because. That could not have been easy. Well, maybe it was easy, frankly, if you got through law school the first shot. So um, it may not have, but it, it, but it is um, impressive to me. I had a CSP and a CIH at one time and let them lapse, and I know that that wasn't easy. And so that, thank you for that, that, the credibility. So you must have really you considered being a safety guy at some point. Well, really <laughs> what happened is um, – any area of law I've ever practiced, I really wanted to understand the, you know, the underlying industry, how people think, things like that. And there's so many, it's almost overwhelming when you decide you want to focus on OSHA because you have to learn safety. I mean, you can't be an occupational safety and health attorney and not understand the underlying safety concepts, how this stuff works. And yeah, there was a lot of studying. I mean, I was a litigation attorney for about 10 years or so. I reached out, um, you know, and and started 
taking these tests and, and, you know, was approved. I, I did tell the, um, I forget the credentialing body, but listen, I'm not a, a traditional safety professional, but can I go down this path? And they gave their blessing and it was a lot of studying. There's this, uh, I know there's this safety handbook that I think everyone studies. There was an older version. Now there's a newer version, but it's like an occupational safety and health handbook. And I highlighted that entire book and it was difficult. I mean, it's not easy. So anyone thinks they can just waltz right in and say, oh, safety profession, let me just take this test. I mean, you'll get destroyed. I mean, <laughs> it is like not an easy test. So I I know if someone's a CSP, I know it took a lot of studying and there's so many different topics. Most of it or much of it, you know, I think you might learn in preparation, studying for it. And then if you're not using it every day, maybe, you know, you start forgetting some of this stuff. But the thing that I like most is a safety profession. Safety professionals think a certain way, just the way attorneys think a certain way. Um, it's not a uniform way everyone thinks, but the safety profession, they look at things a certain way. I think it's, you know, fascinating and the analysis and all of that. So, I really did that to get an understanding of what area I'd be practicing in. But again, I'd be remiss not to say that one of the things I love so much about the safety profession and the industry, I guess, is the members are so passionate about what they do. Like I had mentioned, going to a conference, just going to um, any trade organizations, any groups, people talk about safety. It's almost like it's at like the perfect level. <laughs> you know, it's never too much. It's never obnoxious. It's, a, it's just like good conversation and everyone sharing what they think. Everyone has a unique view on it. Um, I would say, you know, you mentioned about LinkedIn. Really what I do, I mean, I work a lot right? We've got a lot of cases we handle. LinkedIn is sort of an outlet. And what when I first started writing on LinkedIn, just to share some information about it, when you said prolific, uh, initially, it would take a long time to write posts. I mean, some, I set aside four hours on the weekend, I might write one or two posts, and then I'd revisit it, you know, just beset with self-doubt. How's this going to sound? Should I put it this way? Should I put it that way? And then over time, you just get more comfortable doing it. Now posts take much less time. I mean, it could be en route from one place to the other. I pull over on the side of the road. If I've got something on my mind, I just let it rip. <laughs> and I think that's what people like is that like it's authentic. It's usually something I'm working on. It's some thought and it's fun. I mean, it's nice to just say what you think sometimes. So I, you know, I would encourage anyone who has thoughts on anything not to be scared and just share what they think. Sometimes I have to dial it back. I mean, <laughs> you're getting the final version. I will go through and say, okay, I sound a little angry or I sound like I'm on some crusade. Let me, you know, let me soften it a bit and be more fair. But usually what I'm thinking at the time that gets into the post and it's exciting to just let it go. So uh, it's fun. Well, I, I can sense that from your posts. I, and I, I think they're really well written. There are you, I mean, they are always accurate legally. You, I, I can't even critique the accuracy because I don't have that qualification, but from a perspective standpoint, 
the perspectives are always good. You are always, you're seeing more than just the surface of what's going on, which requires a lot of, as you said, a lot of research and a lot of time on your part to have a better understanding of those nuances of OSHA. And uh, I typically don't make a lot of comments on LinkedIn, but when I started seeing your posts, I really wanted to contribute that, the OSHA perspective side to some of your comments because they are really spot on, man. So please keep doing it. And I love that stream of consciousness thing. And I can't tell you how many posts that I have deleted because I reread them and thought, wow, that sounds really angry, (laughs) you know? So I, I totally get that, but they are really useful. So thank you for that. So I've got a question. Um, I don't know if you have an interest in maybe, uh, becoming the assistant secretary for OSHA. Um, I know that's an appoint that's an appointee <laughs> position. Okay, well, okay. If, I, I'm not laughing at the position. No, no, no. Um, I'm not assuming that. Um, be but a radical change. We've but. had attorneys in that position in the past, and so yeah. If you were to become the assistant secretary for OSHA, just hypothetically, what what kind of changes would you like to see in the agency? And question number one: What kind of changes, just overall, would you like to see? Question number two. What can be done to better educate OSHA personnel about these legal aspects that you talk so much about? Well, that's a great question. I mean, if I was working for OSHA, you know, the unknown would sort of be demystified. I would see what it's really like. I mean, now there are a lot of former people from OSHA that I know. And um, like anything, just a couple preliminary comments. Number one, I have a ton of respect for OSHA. I mean, if I, if it wasn't for OSHA, I'd probably be practicing in an area I don't like as much, number one. So I like OSHA. I actually need OSHA desperately, okay? Um, and it is a form of public service. So I have the utmost respect for OSHA, OSHA's mission. Any mission that involves workers getting home safely to their families, their dogs, seeing their neighbors, whatever it is, I tip my hat and have a lot of respect for that. Um, Like anything, though, it is difficult. I mean, it's sort of like landlord, tenant, um, you know, Hatfield, McCoy. I mean, you have these different entities that are sort of on opposite sides and each is reacting to the other and that's causing the other to act in certain ways. So it's it's this cycle, I think, that happens. In some ways, OSHA does not have a lot of power. Um, people don't really realize that when they show up, a lot of the information you're giving to OSHAs, you're voluntarily giving and all of these things, they're usually not showing up with warrants. They're not showing up with subpoenas in their hands. So there's usually when OSHA shows up, there's not legal requirements for you to have to do things. So OSHA naturally, um, I've had a slew of positive interactions with OSHA inspectors, the majority. But there is this element of intimidation and sort of this is what's happening and the employers along for the ride sometimes just really hoping for the best and not knowing it's their job site, it's their workplace, they really should be more of an active participant. I would like things like implied consent that really just bothers me because when there's a disparity in knowledge, obviously OSHA shows up, they're a governmental entity, they have the ability to cite employers. A lot of employers are really nervous about that. 
So they wouldn't dare challenge OSHA because they're scared. They're nervous. They want this to go the right way. And they think if they say anything, a lot of bad things would happen. So one thing I don't like that I would love to change is for inspectors to actually tell employers you have the right to refuse consent or at a minimum ask, do you consent to this inspection? Now, in some state plan states, they will ask that. In federal OSHA, they generally will not ask, do you consent to this inspection? They show up, say why they're there. There's probably some exchange of pleasantries in some <laughs> level or way. And then it's sort of like, well, we're here to do our job. We're starting, okay? Sure, of course, by all means, sir or madam. And the inspection starts and employers just don't know their rights. So I'm not saying I would want like a Miranda type warning read like in a criminal matter, but I think employers have a fair playing field. They should be told at a minimum, they have the right to refuse consent or, you know, certain basic rights. Now, if I was working at OSHA, they would say, well, that's not happening. I mean, who, <laughs> you just got hired by OSHA. You didn't get hired by the local uh, <laughs> trade organization. You're right. kind of confused. But that's what I would like to see. Just more information. I get it. OSHA wants to start these inspections and move kind of quickly. Even the field operations manual says, you know, you should transition from the opening conference um, into the walk around pretty quickly, unless there's reason not to. I don't know. I think it would be better to spend more time on the opening conference and really just let employers know more about the inspection, the reasoning. I realize also this is really hard to do because just to give one example, I was cross-examining an OSHA inspector for about three hours at trial and started asking all about the Fourth Amendment. I mean, this this was teed up perfectly. It was a case the inspector had been told to leave, or, or at least our client couldn't consent that day and to come back. And then after that happened, the inspector started taking all these photographs and even walking into other areas once they had basically infiltrated this work site. Um, and when questioning the inspector on cross-examination about that, I said, how many inspections have you used the word Fourth Amendment? How many inspections have you told an employer they have the right um, to refuse consent? Or how many times have you even used the word consent? Consent, probable cause, Fourth Amendment. Do you ever use any of these terms, even scope, maybe? And there was an objection from the solicitor's attorney that the inspector is not a lawyer. He's, he's not here to interpret legal issues. <laughs> and I thought, well, he's out there enforcing matters that uh, generate these huge legal issues, right? So maybe some more education of inspectors. Maybe there's nervousness. Hey, once we start educating inspectors too much on legal issues, um, maybe, you know, maybe it's better. Their ignorance is bliss on some of these issues. But I, I mean, I'm sure there's education, but it would just be nice to see more maybe, um you know, now you've got me going. Maybe some sort of form that the employer signs. I just admit, I don't like this implied consent. It's like if someone doesn't tackle the inspector, you impliedly consent to the inspection. <laughs> right. And that really, really bothers me. Um, yes. We had one inspection. I wasn't there to witness it. But I mean, this is a really sophisticated general contractor. 
And he was he was a project manager. Now he's like a you know C, uh, senior VP. But I said, what happened when the ocean specter showed up? And he said, well, he just blew right by me. And I said, did you bring up the opening conference? And he said, yeah, I kiddingly said, you know, I guess this is the opening conference. And the inspector looked at him and kept walking. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know ocean specters hear this. They'll say, oh, that's ridiculous. That's not how it's usually done. They're probably right. Okay. Not usually done that way, but that exists. And, um, you know, when you've got an attorney who enjoys an area and is fiercely, fiercely, fiercely loyal to their clients, that type of stuff will bother you every single time you hear it. Absolutely. And so so that is really interesting. I, I love the idea of increasing the amount of training for the compliance officers. When I, when I went into the agency in the mid-90s, probably 96, I think I started with OSHA, they send you up to Chicago to the training institute. And you go through your initial class and, and, you know, you're just deer in the headlights, of course, and you're getting all this information, like any other training situation, a lot of information thrown at you. And you get about one week, I believe we had one week of legal aspects. And that is primarily, that's probably focused primarily on prima facie, you know, citation development, you know, just looking at what elements, how to write a legally sufficient citation. They don't really talk. I don't think I ever heard the Fourth Amendment mentioned. I don't think, you know, that implied consent thing is absolutely true from my experience. And again, my my experience only, I'm only speaking from my experience, but I can remember accompanying senior compliance officers when I was a trainee, and -hmm. the same thing would happen. We would walk in, and they would say, I'm with OSHA, I'm here to make an inspection, and they would walk into the plant. And I would look around, was that the opening (laughs) conference? I mean, uh, you know, at the training institute, at least they talk about the different elements. When you take that information down to the field, sometimes it, it just manifests itself a little differently than they would envision at the training institute, probably. So there were a number of situations where I was, as a trainee, a little bit uncomfortable with the opening conference. And, um, but one of the things that I was not even aware of, and the implied consent thing, all the time. If you did not adamantly say no, then I just heard yes. Go ahead and go. You know? And so I do agree with that. I, I think we should be better about the only time I ever heard a compliance officer and again someone training me talk about your Fourth Amendment rights. You have the right to deny my access. It was on a Friday afternoon. We were out in western Nebraska in some shithole we didn't want to be in. And the compliance officer had something to do Friday evening. So he, he explained to them, you do have the right to deny us entry. And the guy's like, well, you're just setting me up, right? I mean, you're just going to come back here and really ream me if I deny you entry. No, no, no. We're absolutely fine. It's within your rights to ask us to leave. And, you know, we'll come back another time. And the guy's like, well, yeah, I guess that would be okay. And so we left and oh, made it hilarious. to it. It was but it's, you know, so I don't want to suggest that this is agency policy or anything, but right. those are experiences that I've had. And so that leads into something that you spend a lot of time focusing on in your posts, and that is the opening conference. And specifically, would you talk just a little bit about, you know, I think most employers just take the opening conference. They just sit right. there, they listen, and they just nod occasionally. Um, Talk a little bit about when when you talk about, you know, this is an opportunity to negotiate the scope a little bit or 
define more closely the scope and the purpose? Would you comment on that just briefly? Sure. So I think one of the biggest things you can do during an opening conference is let OSHA know you have some understanding of the process, okay, so that you will have feedback on different items. Um, so number one, even the opening conference, if OSHA, if the OSHA inspector doesn't mention it first, say, oh, we're going to do the opening conference, right? You know, something along that nature. Um, but the whole consent Sometimes there's pushback on LinkedIn or otherwise or other places that if you deny consent, OSHA is going to come back like in a tank, you know, when they <laughs> raid someone's house and bash through your front door. Um, while certainly it's true, OSHA could come back with a, a search warrant. When we bring up consent, usually it's having leverage to negotiate the scope. So when during that opening conference, when the inspector shows up, we would counsel clients or anyone who would listen to say, we understand you would need a warrant since the Fourth Amendment applies, um, or you need us to consent. We are inclined to consent. If you are, right, usually I think you should be inclined to consent, but we need to know what we're consenting to, and we just want to have a clear understanding so everything can proceed very smoothly. And then that way you can talk about these things. For example, where do you plan to go? Who do you plan to speak with today? What information might you need? Uh, there's times preemptively we'll say, because we know it can come up, we are consenting today solely for you to go to the yard outside. Nothing happened in the shop. We're not consenting for this to expand into some type of full-fledged hazard communication inspection because it has nothing to do with that. Generally, we wouldn't say that part, but <laughs> that's mm -hmm. what we're thinking, right? Absolutely. Um, and then, I don't know, I think OSHA inspectors appreciate that. It, when you assert your rights during that opening conference, I think they understand, you understand the process. I, my guess is that it maybe in some ways makes the inspector feel more comfortable, that there is some expectation and there's an agreement. And then there's really no surprises I would think it's not easy being an inspector walking into someone's business saying you're here to inspect them and, and you have authority to issue financial penalties against them. I would be concerned what's what's the response going to be. So that opening conference, I think when you tell the ocean inspector you understand it um, and you just want what's fair, I think that sets a good environment, a good atmosphere for the inspection. So that's why I think that opening conference is really, really important. One footnote, you might be able to tell me, now I can start asking you questions as someone who was like on the quote inside at OSHA, but I would guess immediately you size up the employer and make a determination. Do they know anything about OSHA inspections and us or um, are they not really know anything, right? So either do they understand the process if they do, Maybe we need to be a little bit more formal and mind our P's and Q's procedurally. Um, or if they don't know, okay, if they don't stop us, I mean, nothing's illegal really for OSHA to do. I'll tell clients, it's not illegal for them to record you. It's not illegal for them to ask you to sign things. It's not illegal for them to go every inch of your premises, but you have the authority and the right to decline, right? So 
Anyway, I just think that opening conference is really important. You you set the stage. The inspector immediately sizes you up and gets his or her own expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree. And I think, to, I, I believe that was somewhat the subject matter of your post this morning. I caught a post driving in this morning talking about the peer pressure aspect of yeah. when you are, particularly when, you know, we used to work in teams. So there would be a safety person and an industrial hygienist. And they would send us out in teams to do comprehensive inspections or fatality investigations or things. And so when there's two compliance officers, there is a, there is a certain amount of unspoken pressure, I'm sure. I'm sure that it's oh, yeah. felt by the employers. And we weren't above using that at times, certainly. Um, we even had some, like, big intimidating inspectors. Not that that's a, a thing, but they just happened to be that way. And I think that right. even subconsciously contributes to that pressure. I, yeah, I think most employers, for the most part, they want to be com- they want to be they want to be compliant, and they want to be cooperative, and they try to do the mm-hmm. right thing, and so they agree to things that they probably don't understand that they're agreeing to. One of those things, you know, I love the idea about the way that you described it. We understand that we have the right to, re- you know, either request a warrant or we are we can give consent to this, and and that it's not. Uh, defensive and it's not aggressive. It's just a statement of fact. And I can say in my experience, employers that knew their rights, and I don't say this with any element of pride, believe me, but employers that knew their rights or probably they certainly understood their industry better than I. And some Mm -hmm. of them even understood safety better than I, quite honestly, they intimidated me. And, And there was a certain element of, I was a little bit more reserved in the way that I approached those inspections Simply because of that, they they knew what they were talking about. They knew their rights. They understood their business. Some people just acquiesce and they tend to get run over. And I don't know that, you know, that's a it's not fair, but it's certainly reality in some cases. Um, what you've just described leads me to the next question, which is not on my list. We've actually I haven't even gotten to those yet. But could you talk a little bit about when we when we've established this scope? Plain view, there's always that plain view caveat. I have to address things in plain view when I'm making this inspection, whether it be a limited scope or a comprehensive. Could you mm-hmm. comment on what you believe plain view to allow or what that means? Yeah, so plain view can be massaged to mean different things. Uh, plain view, it's got to be plain view of basically a violation in plain sight. Um not plain view, oh, there's a machine over there working on energy, so now it's a lockout, tagout inspection. I mean, <laughs> um, we've had this where there was a fatality and, and we were assisting the employer and there was some spray uh, uh, spray can insulation uh, on the ground. And they, so they opened a health inspection and we said, okay, but just because there were potential hazards related to health doesn't mean... Uh, you, there's probable cause to actually open a separate health inspection. And this one was already far downstream a bit when we got involved. So it would have been like a complete radical change in the employer's uh, you know, position in this. And it would have probably, I would say, have to get litigated because we would have stopped, you know, we would have had to basically reverse consent that was already given. And I don't know if we would have been able to do that. Um but yeah, the plain view, obviously, if, if an inspector is in a 
place where they have reason to be and, and sees any other potential violation, if it does look like a violation now, wherever that violation could exist geographically, any place else, that can broaden the, um, you know, the inspection. But one critical thing is, and this is, again, that whole consent aspect, just because OSHA, the inspector sees something in plain view, in my view is, that doesn't mean they now have the equivalent of a judicial warrant or administrative warrant to go look at everything there. That would still be like they were just walking in the door and they're saying, I want to look at these additional things. So the employer would have to give actual consent or implied consent, or they'd have to have a warrant at the ready for something they didn't know they planned on seeing. So that gets bypassed. I mean, that just gets run over. Oh, it's in plain view. Now we're looking at this. An employer would have to say, well, we don't consent to that. The field operations manual says if you're trying to enlarge in the scope of an inspection and the employer says, no, call your area director, right? Or maybe call a solicitor at some point. But once someone's in the door, it's like, well, you consented, you know? (laughs) So it just, the whole plain view and expanding the scope of a search, that whole consent just gets usually run right over and ignored. So we've done, actually, I'm very fond of Nebraska. I did a mock OSHA inspection. I flew into Grand Island Airport. Uh, fortunately, there were no delays or too many flights backed up. You know, I think there was like one or two, you know, um, you know, gates. That's but about it, it was a great experience. And we did a mock inspection there of our client's facility. And I literally had like 30 different issues I wanted to bring out. And that whole plain view was one of the things that I wanted to test our clients understanding. And, and they did great. You know, okay, you see a forklift over there. But unless you see something in plain view that looks like it's a violation, you can't now start asking for certifications and training and and all of these things. So um, that's our view on that. Again, it's probably an overly technical view. What happens in reality and maybe what we think should happen are probably two very different things. But if you asked... No, that's my view on plain view. I love that. I love the answer. I am in total agreement. And I just I really wanted to hear what your your comment about um, as the employer, what would I what would I say to this compliance officer if it appeared that they were, you know, look, either taking advantage of the plain view opportunity or maybe expanding the scope and your comment about I'm not sure we have not given consent to expand the scope or to, you know, to address those issues. Very again, not aggressively, just matter of fact. You know that's not something that we've agreed to or consented to, and so we can continue going about what we were going to do. Or you can contact your area director or whatever. But we're not sure. We're not going down that road. It's it doesn't have to be aggressive. I I can say from my experience, when the employers were overly aggressive, and I'm not an aggressive. I was never an aggressive compliance person. I'm I like I'm a people pleaser which I was not a great compliance officer in some respects because of that. But when they did get overly aggressive, man, I, you, you return that in kind, you know, I mean, if it becomes aggressive, I have some friends that are still compliance officers here in the Omaha area office, and they are very pragmatic, very understanding people until somebody screws with them. And then they're, then they're just going to dig in. So, I don't, I don't ever tell anybody you have to be nice to the compliance officer, 
But I think just normal practical decorum suggests that you don't want to attack them either, and it's going to set a pretty, you know, unpleasant tone for that inspection. Yeah, we, I mean, just candidly, I never look at OSHA as the enemy. I mean, but we do have a job to do. We're there to represent the interests of our client. So, um, but we, I never view OSHA as the bad guy or the enemy. And yeah, to, further to your point, we are always very professional. We, I mean, we will share what we think. We, you can't hold that in. But at the same time, it's always professional. Um, we and, and it's funny when we, you know, we had one instance where we had a new client. They weren't sure whether to get an attorney or not. And there was going to be an employee management interview. And um, I think this was during COVID, but it was a remote interview. I wasn't there as remote. And OSHA wouldn't let another member of management sit in on the management interview, but would let me as the attorney sit in. And then we, I said, well, the interview is not happening unless the, the manager sits in on his you know, colleague. And the inspector stormed out and said, you know, we're going to get a, you know, we're going to serve a subpoena. We're going to do all this stuff. He was very upset. It was a new guy. I don't think he understood it. And I had our client looking at me like, we just got you involved. Now it's just screaming at us <laughs> right. that they're going to go get a subpoena. And you were supposed to make things better, not worse. <laughs> and that was really bad timing. Because you know when people are nervous and you're giving them all the assurances, we're professional and all of these things. But at the same time, we are going to represent our client's best interests. So later, and I always tell this story, I'm still trying to like exculpate myself Later, the area director or assistant area director called our client personally and said, well, there was some misunderstanding. I apologize. Our, our officer didn't know it was a supervisor, which I don't really believe that's true. Mm. But, you know, whatever. OK, no harm, no foul. They apologized. And I felt good about that. Um, so, you know, I, I have found actually you didn't ask this, but oftentimes the area director really is the peacemaker and and takes care of a lot of these issues. Um, I will say if I was an inspector and someone was really rude to me, just didn't like me for based on the fact I was trying to carry out a role to keep that employer's workers safe. Yeah, that would be upsetting. You know, mm -hmm. I would hope not to have to deal with people like that. Um, so yeah, you might respond in kind if someone's attacking you that way. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I think there's less and less of that, you know, even in the time that, you know, when I came in with OSHA in the mid nineties, the employers were never happy to see us. And I never assumed they would be happy to see us. Uh, some of them were aggressive. I can remember, you know, there was a lot of swearing and cursing. Um, I had, I had an, I had an inspect, I had a, an employer spit on me one time. I mean, there were, there were other elements uh, of, you know, never physical aggression, but the, you know, these kind of verbal and, you know, these, these weird actions and stuff. One of my colleagues got chased off a construction site with a pitchfork. I mean, so there, wow. were, so I can say that in my experience, at least in the first few years, I went into every inspection with a little pit, like in my stomach, this little, what am I, yeah. what am I getting into kind of a feeling? And so that level of anxiety always made 
the, the resulting inspection made it a little bit more volatile just because I didn't know what I was getting into. By the, by the time I was done with OSHA, which was you know, 2014, I think I was, you know, um, that was gone for the most part. I think employers had learned quite a bit about cooperation and, and that tended to work better, at least with the outcomes and things. So it, it can be, um, it still can be a little bit, you're, sometimes you're just catching people on a day that is, they're just having a horrible day and they respond that way. And, you know, sometimes you have to look past that, but so you talked about, I mean, as so you talked about the, the management interviews and having someone present, another management representative, legal counsel, whomever. Can you talk a little bit about who the employee can have present when they're being interviewed? Because I don't, sure. I don't think, I'm not sure I even really understand that well. <laughs> so what OSHA doesn't want is the non-supervisor employee to say, oh, I am being represented by my employer's attorneys, right? Because there would be a conflict of interest. As you know, OSHA looks at employers, at least once in some ways, large way, it looks at employers as the employer on one side through management, and then also the confidential informants, right? You know, the non-supervisors on the other side. Um, That's not the only way they look at it. Of course, it's one company. But for these interviews, you know, the non-supervisors, they're the evidence, right? They're the evidence against the employer. And then the employer's attorney is going to talk to them beforehand and represent them at the interview. OSHA won't go for that. We've we've never pressed the issue. I mean, I think in theory, a non-supervisor could say, I would like the company's attorney to represent me, ask the company if they, the attorney would do that, and then tell OSHA. I, I don't know what the judicial resolution of that would be, but I think that I, I think that would be permissible. But it, the optics are terribly bad, mm-hmm. right? So usually, a non-supervisory employee they have to get their own attorney. I mean, that's really what should occur. It, I find it fascinating in the field operations manual. It references, and I'm paraphrasing, but it references that a non-supervisor can elect to have their own attorney. Um, And I think the word should is used, like that should normally be respected. And to me as an attorney, one thing you hold is, you know, um, a fundamental right is to have an attorney represent you in some legal matter. So I don't know why that word should is in there, but uh, be that as it may, non-supervisors, they do have a right to have their own attorney. If it's a fatality matter and there could be willful violations, I mean, there could be a related personal injury case. You just don't know. So usually they don't get their own attorneys, mm-hmm. but um, they have the right to mm-hmm. protect themselves. And, and if, they're in a, if they are in a union setting, they can typically have a union oh. person present, but but that one has always been kind of an interesting one because there were many occasions where the employees asked to have a management representative or their legal counsel present, and we would adamantly refuse that. <clears throat> and then, yeah, they, it seems like that's a hard and fast right. I mean, we sometimes employers will ask, "Can we at least try to get in the room?" And I, I, I've never tried to get in the room because I don't believe we have the right, so mm-hmm. I don't even go there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, 
does, does an employee, along that same line then, does an employee have a right to refuse to speak with OSHA? If, sure. if say Like, say, for example, I, and I mean, if you were the key witness to a fatality or something, OSHA really wants, or if you're the accident victim or something, they're going to really want to speak with you. <clears throat> but right. if you're just, <clears throat> pardon me, if you're just selected off a list, hey, I need to talk to somebody from this department and this department, and you say, I'm not interested in speaking with OSHA, in your experience, is, is that legitimate for an employee to say that? Yeah. Any employee, even a manager, no one has to speak to OSHA. There's no legal requirement to cooperate. But if you don't cooperate, OSHA will go get a subpoena, and then that is a legal instrument. And then if you don't comply, you know, there could be penalties. But um, we we counsel our clients all the time. The hard thing is, we can't tell a non-supervisor, don't speak to OSHA. We can tell them they have the right and they might say, well, what do you think we should do? And I can't tell you not to speak to OSHA, mm -hmm. right? But they do have that right. Usually, um, or I'd say, I don't know, usually or oftentimes when we represent an employer, we do facilitate the interviews. If we know the inspector is going to track someone down, uh, maybe it's someone we want to tell their story, what they saw, usually or oftentimes, maybe more oftentimes, <laughs> we would set up or facilitate the inspector speaking with the employee. Other times mm -hmm. you say, here are the employees' names, good luck. I mean, we're, we're not really going to help in that respect. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I know that a lot of employees are really um, uncomfortable with being interviewed by an OSHA compliance person. You know, I, I had people that I would interview that would just, they would just come apart. They were so nervous because of the whole situation or they were so concerned. I, they didn't want to throw their employer under the bus. They were really, yeah. you know, and, and I was always, not always, but for the most part, comfortable if they were not interested in having that conversation going on to someone else, if that would, you know, be equally as useful, you know. So it wasn't something that we pushed really hard. We were pretty quick to subpoena managers if they refused but right. I, I don't recall subpoenaing a lot of employees necessarily. We were their advocates for the most part, and so we didn't really want to be beaten up on them. But, you know, occasionally you really need their input or their observations or something. Um, we're just about out of time already. I mean, these, things, these hours go so quickly. But I would be interested if you would talk a little bit about when, under what circumstances, and I know this is – sounds kind of self-serving, but when do people need an attorney? When do, when does the, you know, if the OSHA guy shows up for a routine, as you mentioned this morning, a routine right. random inspection, or when do, when do you need an attorney typically, or when should you have an attorney always for every interaction? Do you recommend having your counsel involved or fatalities? Certainly. Uh, what, what types of things should someone consider having an attorney? Um, that's a great question. I mean, my view, because I enjoy this area so much, would be, hey, get us involved every time. Um, I think here are the risks in not having an attorney. I think sometimes, and I understand it, it's reasonable, and maybe in many ways it makes perfect sense to do this, but employers look at how much will it cost to get an attorney to represent me? If there's already been a citation, how much does that cost? And they just start doing the math. How much can this person save me? 
what's lost or sometimes not lost, and the reason we do get called is it's a future risk. It's not just this matter. If someone, if OSHA shows up and you knew you're shuttering your business in a month, okay, you might get a, a penalty that's not too bad. But if you want to remain competitive going past that month, then you could have repeats, you could have willfuls, the bidding process. I mean, we have some contractors, subcontractors, it doesn't matter if the penalty was $1, they're going to go all the way to trial and fight that because their professional reputation, their industry reputation is at stake. So I would say it's a good idea to get representation because, you know, if, if you're going to have heart surgery, you're not going to go to an orthopedist who works on backs. Right? <laughs> right. You want someone who's going to do something that, you know, that's what they do all the time. Right. So, but everyone has different opinions too. It's funny. Some clients are terrified of OSHA and, you know, they get when they might show up, even they've had an incident and they, it's a reportable to OSHA and, um, they, they have us involved right then because OSHA might show up. I mean, we, I've sat on job sites <laughs> and, and I thought, I mean, it was a fatality. It was a serious matter, but we showed up to do our, you know, fact investigation with the client. And then the client said, well, OSHA didn't show up today. You're going to come back tomorrow. And we're always thinking like, all right, I mean, to sit around eight hours, like what if they don't show up? How many days in a row are we going to show up? And um, I remember thinking, well, it's your call. We we can just be nearby or show up on an instant. And they're like, oh, if you don't want to stay, then we we understand. And we're like, oh, no, no, no. We will be here. <laughs> sure, but then that day the ocean inspector walked in at like 3.45 or 4.15. So it worked out perfectly. But, yeah, I think it's smart. Um, I would say I presented over well over 100, maybe even approaching a couple hundred times at events and things like that. And I always put out this offer. I'll put this offer out to your listeners. If you have a question and you're not sure, call me. I, I mean, my cell is in my LinkedIn profile. I'm not hiding from trying to help people. It doesn't mean we have to engage you as a formal client. But if it's a 10-minute thing or 15-minute, what do you think? You know, we're here to help. That's why I'm on LinkedIn. I come by it honestly. I'm hoping contractors they have some more you know, level of comfort. I can't help them on every single thing they do, right? I mean, if there's delay damages, I can't prosecute that for them. I understand it a little bit, but at least for OSHA, it's being a resource for them. So I would tell you this. I think people should strongly consider getting legal counsel involved when OSHA shows up because the stakes are pretty high. OSHA is more aggressive than ever. It seems like every year, you know, unprecedented levels of aggression or not aggression, you know, aggressiveness and, and focus. And I guess the last thing I could say in this point, there's a misconception what OSHA needs to win a matter. There are four legal elements. And I think a lot of employers think, well, you know, you needed to wear fall protection. You didn't. I guess we lose. And they don't realize there's more elements like the employer knowledge element or employee exposed to a hazard element that OSHA needs to prove. So you get an attorney involved. Oftentimes we analyze and we have legitimate winning arguments or we get what's called winning leverage. 
maybe we wouldn't win 10 out of 10 times if the case was tried, you know, in front of 10 different judges. But there's a chance we would. And you want to negotiate with OSHA. You want to try to resolve this from a position of strength, not saying, hey, our guys all took an OSHA 10. Can you just cut us a break? I mean, <laughs> right. that's not litigation risk. That's right. That's side begging. So <laughs> that's, so that's the way we look at it. I mean, yeah. you know, you laugh because you know it's so true. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Um, well, that's so yeah. interesting you say that. I spent some time as an AAD and did a lot of uh, informal conferences. And typically, if an employer uh, came in to negotiate in good faith and they had an, an OSHA qualified an attorney who understood the OSHA process, we almost always reached some settlement simply because I knew that the solicitors were not oftentimes interested in taking some of these cases to trial. They weren't necessarily right. strong. They weren't because the the attorneys could kind of, you know, dig out some of the weaknesses in the citations, as you just alluded to, you know, some of those exposure elements or knowledge elements that may not be really solid. Um, I, I vacated a lot of citations from my buddy Randy Stevenson when he would be the attorney. He would just come in and look at me and I'd say, just, what do you want, Randy? You know, now right. that being said, if they brought in their tax attorney, that was always a lot of fun, you know, because these tax attorneys or whomever, you know, their corporate attorney mm-hmm. who knew nothing about OSHA uh, would come in there and bark at us or something. And we would just say, we're done. We'll see you in court. And they would always freak, you know, I mean, so. Yeah, that's embarrassing. The, embarrassing the, but the value of a knowledgeable OSHA attorney is hard to quantify because, you know, that, that is really important. So I, I would hope that everybody engages a qualified, knowledgeable OSHA attorney, have them, you know, as part of your contingency. I mean, everybody has a contingency or hopefully when OSHA shows up, who do I call? What do I do? Who participates? That should be part of the, you know, that, that attorney, whether that, you know, you as a resource, uh, that should be part of your contingency. Somebody that can, you know, expand on some of these questions or at least clarify some of these confusions, these issues. So, I, I hope that you get more work than you can handle. Are you part uh, of a, do you have a, are you, I might be there right now. <laughs> are no, you, you're at the breaking point that's already. Fine, that's good. No, that is good. And so um, I hope we can do this again sometime. And the, inf- I, I love the information. I have to be honest. I learn something every, through every one of these mm-hmm. conversations. I think hopefully that makes me a better consultant. And so, um, but if people want to get in your information, they can go through LinkedIn, Michael Rubin, R-U-B-I-N, and that's right. Ogletree Deacon. They can find you. They can find your email address, I think, is listed there. As you mentioned, your phone number is listed there. So hopefully they will reach out, find you, and at least make that connection uh, or hook up with you on LinkedIn and start reading your posts. I think that would be fantastic as well. So I guess I got one more question for you before we – and we're over time, of course, but you've got a team in the – in the hunt in the NFL this weekend? Uh, this is a tough subject. I mean, <laughs> someone would ask me, how was the recording? How was the uh, podcast? And I would say it's going great. So I had to mention them at Dallas Cowboys. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. I'm sorry, man. 
Yeah. I didn't mean to, to rub the delight of all the non-Dallas Cowboys fans for any ocean specter out there that wishes <laughs> they had something on me. They can say, oh, this is good. This guy has suffered. He has suffered. <laughs> Maybe so. we should cut him a break, actually. Yeah. What? It's... <laughs> well, they kept McCarthy. Apparently, they're going to keep McCarthy. He's, you know, they're going to stay on that horse and see what, what happens. So, yeah, though, Stephen A. Smith will have enough material till he retires. So, yes, he yeah, will. The Cowboys are in deep trouble. Uh, well, I, I, I'm not a what huge, I'm not what a huge cowboy doing? fan. I don't have a team in the, in the hunt. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to root for Houston. Um, I like CJ Stroud. Oh, yeah. I'm, I went to Ohio state. And so I do like CJ Stroud. Right. We were not contemporaries. I was not at Ohio state while he was there. I was there, you know, before his mother was born probably, but right. I'm going to root for them. I don't think they have a chance against Baltimore. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens, I, but. I'll end with this. My condolences. (laughs) Right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We don't need to say it, but no, no, I, it's, it's been hard for us too. It's been very hard for us too. You're not a Michigan guy, are you? No, I'm not. Okay. Michael, this is, this is a true pleasure, man. I, I thank you very much for taking the time. We all know you're very busy, so we won't let you get back to work, but this has been fantastic. Thank you for what you're doing. Continue to do those posts to the best of your ability and, and as time allows, but because we are all benefiting from those. And I really enjoy some of the comments that are made. Some of the people that are responding to your posts have very thoughtful things to say. And I, I really enjoy that. Even if we're differing of opinion, it's a, it's a fun conversation. So um, I hope we can overload you with work. Um, and I hope maybe in six months we can get back together and we can talk about more things. Absolutely. And I'll venture a guess you'll like my next LinkedIn post. So I'll look forward to it, man. Out. I look forward to it. That sounds great. <laughs> Michael right. Rubin, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Um, we will be posting this probably today. It'll go onto YouTube and it'll go out on LinkedIn and through the other podcast platforms. My buddy Dylan back behind the, the booth there will be pushing that out. And then I'll make announcement on LinkedIn as well. So, And uh, you are going to have your hands full, buddy. So prepare yourself. Great Thank you, Michael. Stuff. I enjoyed it. This was an absolute thrill. I, I really enjoyed it. This is this was a great thing. And um, just got to tell you, I've got so much respect for you and big, big, big fan. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. We will All look right. forward to doing it again sometime and have a great weekend. Right. Thank All you, right. Michael. You Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.